yesterday. We saw uh, two million boats on the lake yesterday, we saw, but I'm glad you're here. The reason we're able to enjoy this weekend uh, is due to the fact that many people sacrificed their lives uh, so that we could have the freedoms that we enjoy, the blessings that we enjoy in this United States of America. Uh, we're blessed, but our thoughts and prayers are with those families whose loved ones sacrificed and, and paid the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice, so that you and I could enjoy what we're enjoying this weekend and the freedoms that come along with that and the freedoms for many others around our world. It's not just Americans that have benefited uh, by the sacrifices of so many. And so our, our thoughts and prayers are, are with those families today. Uh, that have made that ultimate sacrifice. If you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, and I anticipate some, some of you have your Bibles this weekend that didn't have them last weekend, uh, Acts chapter 3. Or maybe you just want to turn them on. Uh, a lot of us use our phones. I, I use a phone. Uh, people have often commented about the fact that I get up to preach without a Bible. Uh, but I've got the Word on my iPad. I, I read Scripture every day on my phone. Uh, and if you're really lazy, it'll read it to you. Uh, you're here on Wednesday nights. You know uh, we have a few people that uh, <laughs> let theirs read out loud while I'm reading. And so that's all good. It's kind of a choir effort. Uh, Frank, I think Frank's got his phone figured out. Uh, Jack Lawman, I don't think, has his figured out yet. But... Uh, Anyway, Acts chapter 3, we're in week 4 of this series, we're calling The Movement. And uh, I've had several people tell me that uh, the, the first three weeks has really been a blessing to them. Uh, we, may, we may be here in the book of Acts all summer, I, I don't know. But what we've been talking about in this series is the fact that sadly a lot of people see church today as nothing more than a building. Uh, they see it as a place that they go to. A lot of people think of church and they think of it as an event uh, that they should attend, you know, like uh, kind of like a, a, a social event or event that we, you know, might have scheduled to go to on a regular basis. But what we've been talking about, what we've been seeing uh, in our studies so far is that the church is not a place. The church is not an event, but the church is a movement. Uh, that's exactly what it is. That's how it started. Uh, it's a movement that has been moving for over 2,000 years now. And we're inviting you, we're inviting every person that we come in contact with to be a part of the movement. Because if you're not a part of the movement, uh, then you, you've got serious issues uh, that you're going to be facing at some point in time, if not already. But we've been looking at the fact... Uh, the, the first century church was started here in the book of Acts. We saw that. The mission was given in Acts chapter 1. The church was established in Acts chapter 2. And these first century Christians, they began this great movement because they were captured by the message. And, and the question to us, the question to all of us has been over these past few weeks, have you been captured by the message? Have you been captured by the story of Jesus? The, the story that, that these disciples were eyewitnesses to. They, they saw the miracles that he performed. They watched him walk on this uh, earth and live the, the way he lived and loved the way he loved. And then to go to the cruel cross of Calvary to see him suffer and to die. And not only that, but to go into a tomb and then three days later be raised from the dead. They were so captured by this message that they were willing to go anywhere. They were willing to give anything. They were willing to do whatever it took to get this message, this story to all the world. And Jesus said, 
take, you are my eyewitnesses. You have been witnesses to what has happened here, and now it's your responsibility to get this into the hands of every, every human that's in this world. They have no idea how huge that task was. They knew it was big, but they really didn't understand how big it was, but they were so captivated and captured by Jesus that they were willing to do whatever it took because they knew that every single person must know about Jesus and what he did for them and what he did for you. And 2,000 years later, that's still the task that we've been called to do. That's still the command that we have been given, and that's to tell the story, to be witnesses of what Jesus uh, has done and what he's doing uh, in our lives. And then not only that, we see that they were they yielded to the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this work on our own. We can't make our families, you know, the the, the families that we want them to be. We can't be everything that God wants us to be unless we allow him to do it through us. And we fail so many times because we think we got this. We think that we can do this. But we, we learn early in the story, early in the movement. It, it, we can't do anything that amounts to a hill of beans, right? It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us to where we can accomplish anything that really matters uh, in this world. And so uh, we saw that in in the early movement, they were captivated and captured by the message. They yielded to the Holy Spirit, and God did some incredible and amazing things. And he's been doing it for the last 2,000 years, and I honestly don't believe he's finished yet. I believe that he wants to continue to do some powerful and mighty things uh, in our church, in your families, in this community, and in this world. He's not done, because let me tell you something. When he's done, he's going to come back and get us and take us home. And he hadn't done that yet, so he's not finished with us. I hadn't even got to the notes for this sermon yet, okay? Just so you know, the guy sitting back here in the sound booth is going, he is not preaching what the notes that he has handed me. So I'll get to that now, Parker. But we've been, we've been looking at the fact that they, they were captured by the message. They yielded to the Holy Spirit. And we see here in the book of Acts exactly what it looks like to be captured by the message. We see exactly what it looks like to yield to the Holy Spirit. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first miracle that we see recorded uh, in, in, here in the book of Acts. This is the first miracle that we see take place after Jesus has ascended. Jesus has left the earth. He's left them the helper. He's left them the Holy Spirit. And so this is the, the first miracle that we see take place that Jesus didn't perform. Uh, and it was actually done by uh, his disciples. Uh, and so uh, he, he left us the power, the church, the movement to do these things. This first miracle involves Peter and John. All right, the disciples, Peter and John, and, and we're, what we're going to see is we're going to see them high, uh, heal a crippled guy, a guy that had been lame all of his life. Uh, and we are going to see all throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see these physical healings uh, take place often. There are 14 times where we see the miracle of healing take place here uh, in the book of Acts. And here in chapter 3 is the first time we see it. Some scholars say that if we will understand this miracle right here, then we will understand them all. We will understand what they mean because, you know, what do, uh, what do miracles show us? What is it that miracles teach us? You know, were miracles just done, uh, you know, so that people would pay attention? You know, what, what's the purpose of miracles? What should we learn from the miracles that we see in, in the Bible? Well, they show us one thing that they show us is how God feels about suffering in the world. 
Every time you see a miracle, you see it as a response to suffering. You see it as a response to some difficult situation that's taking place. And, and, and so we see how God feels about that, what he's doing about that, and what he's going to do about it in the days ahead. We can learn what he's saying to us in our suffering. We can learn through, through miracles uh, what he's trying to say to us in our pain. And it also shows us what the, uh, as the church, what our mission is uh, into all the world uh, when it comes to miracles as well. So let's walk through uh, this first miracle uh, we see here uh, in Acts chapter 3. And I just want to summarize real, quick, real quickly verse 1 through 11. I know it's a holiday and you've all got uh, a lake to go to today. So I'm not going to hold you up. But, but, but 1 through 11, just to summarize, uh, the miracle kind of went like this. One day Peter and John, they're headed to the temple uh, and, you know, like they normally did, normal routine to go to the temple. And while they're headed there, they encounter this crippled man uh, who couldn't walk, uh, basically has been a beggar all of his life. It's the only way he had to provide for himself was to beg uh, for people that would walk by for money or food or whatever it was. And, and so the whole community knew this guy to be a cripple and a beggar. Peter and John walks past this guy. He asked him for some money, just like he has everybody else that's walked past him that day. And Peter stops and looks him right square in the eye and says, Brother, I don't have any money. I'm an evangelist. <laughs> and it, it, he, says, he says, Silver or gold, I don't have. I'm a preacher, but what I do have, I'll give it to you. And he reaches out to him. He stretches out his hand to this man that has great needs. He's crippled, he's poor, he's a beggar. And he reaches out his hand to this man and he pulls him up. Sometimes we just got to reach out and pull them out, pull them up. And that's what Peter did. He reached down, he pulled him up by his hand and it says immediately this guy's feet and his ankles became strong. This man who had been crippled uh, all of his life was now walking and he's leaping and he's praising God for what's just happened in his life. The people, they were all amazed. The people had seen this guy, you know, every time they'd walk past him, he had asked them for something. They all knew this guy. They'd all see him up, leaping around, praising God, dancing around. Now the crowd begins to gather. <laughs> Peter's like an opportunity to preach again, right? And so that's where we want to pick it up now. The guy's been healed, and now Peter takes this opportunity to say, okay, I, let me explain to you why the miracle happened and what this miracle is all about and what it means to you and what it means to me. And I believe we'll learn that. So let's pick it up at verse 12 where Peter's talking to him. Crowd is gathered around. He says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? <laughs> Why, why are you surprised by what you've just seen take place here? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness that we did anything, that we made this man walk? Oh, no, it's not us. Don't, don't be looking at us, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. You see, he glorified his servant Jesus. Remember him? Remember this guy? Oh yeah, this was the guy that you handed over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, even though Pilate had decided to let him go. Verse 15 says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Power and might 
we are witnesses of this, right? Peter's taking this command seriously when Jesus said, be my witnesses. Peter said, we saw it all. We experienced it all. We are witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and whom you've known and who you walked by for all these years and as you've seen crippled and as a beggar, you've seen him made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see here today. You've witnessed it. You've been a part of it. You see what happened. Verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. So repent. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Verse 21 says, Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything that he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Now one commenter, one commenter, commentator, <laughs> got plenty of commenters and not near enough commentators, but... One commentator on this first miracle tells us the, this first miracle that we see recorded here in the, in the book of Acts actually shows us three things that we must recognize in every single miracle that we read about and that we have heard about and that we have even experienced in our own lives. The first thing that we must recognize about a miracle is this. A miracle must always cause us to look upward, right? A miracle must always cause us to look Upward Miracles are always God's, think about it, they are always God's authentication of who Jesus was and why he came. That's what miracles are all about, to authenticate who Jesus was and why he came to this earth. Peter says in verse 15 and 16 there again that we read earlier, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this, and by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Why was he made strong? Why was he made whole? So you would see Jesus, <laughs> right? That's why it was done. It was all about him. It was about no one else but him and, and us pointing you to him so that you could see his power uh, in, in this world. The miracles that we see these disciples perform throughout the book of Acts, they do it time and time again. Why did God allow them to perform these miracles? Because he was validating the beginning of this movement. This is of me. I want you to see the power that they have that comes through what Jesus did, and it all comes from me. And so it all points to him. And he says, I'm showing you this so that you would see me. It's all about him. It's never about us. It's never about them. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 3 and 4, he says, This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified it. How did he do it? How did these things testify to who God was? It testified to it by signs, by wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we've already seen happen in the lives of the disciples when the Spirit came up on them, right? Miracles were God's way of saying, this is really me, all right? 
This is really me. It was like God's divine signature was giving authentication, you know, to the movement that was taking place and that was beginning. It was like, I've signed it, I've sealed it, I've delivered it, this movement is beginning, and it's going to move, it's going to keep moving until I stop it. And so it's still moving today, it's still taking place, and, and there are so many things that have happened in history. We read about, you know, the awesome miracles that happened in the Bible, but you can even go beyond the Bible and look back in history, maybe even in your own lives, some miracles that you've experienced in your life or, or, or in your family that, that have happened, and, and, and you, you look at them and you go, you know, th that is extraordinary, right? That, that, that's, that's not normal. It definitely had to be, you know, you can't help but to conclude that these things happened as the result of a greater power because there was no explanation. There's no way to, to, to understand that it was anything but God. I love it when something happens in someone's life and they, and they say, but God. You know, it only could have happened, but God did it, but God did it. And so, you know, the events of Jesus' life, think about it, Jesus' life, uh, his resurrection are validation that there is a divine power that is at work in this world today. And one of the greatest reasons that we have to believe in God is by acknowledging and recognizing the extraordinary, miraculous things that he's done. All right. And the most impressing uh, and astounding miracle, I believe, is at the very beginning of the Bible when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Beat that. Any of you try. Huh? Has anybody beat that since then? I mean, is that not like the greatest miracle that ever, ever took place in the world? When he spoke it into existence. In the beginning, God created everything. And so, uh, you know, if you believe in God, you have to accept that he is a miracle-working God. And he is an all-powerful God. And a God that created all things, think about it. A God who created all things, don't you think that he certainly has the power to change them at any given moment, in any given time? And some of you have quit and give up. When your God can do anything at any time in any moment. But yet we quit and give up on God. And that's who God is. He is a miracle-working God. God gave his son Jesus to perform these awesome miracles. Why? So that they would recognize him. So that they would know him. And know that he was the son of God. He was who he said he, he was. And if you're looking for somewhere to place your faith, I would argue that you have nowhere to place your faith except in a miracle working God. A miracle working Savior, a miracle working uh, Messiah, because when you encounter who He is, when you see His character, when you understand His character, you understand His power, you understand His authority over all things, that's when you will be convinced that He's the only hope that you have. You have no hope in anything except a miracle working God. We have no hope without that. But our faith doesn't solely rest upon this watertight evidence of miracles. Our, our faith doesn't solely rest on that. It rests on the revelation of who Jesus is. Right? One, one scholar said it like this, God didn't give us a watertight argument. He gave us a watertight person. He gave us a watertight Savior. So, so I want to ask you the same thing that, that, that Peter asked 
here in the story that we looked at that he asked this group that had gathered, have you listened to Jesus? Because he is truly the only one worth listening to. Have you listened to Jesus? Because verse 23, Peter says here that anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off. So I've got to ask you the same question that Peter asked the people that had gathered around that day that had witnessed this miracle. Have you listened to Jesus? Do you understand now who he is? Yeah, you were dumb enough to kill him, but are you getting it now? Are you beginning to understand that you killed him, but now he's not dead? And this guy that you've been walking past all your life is now jumping up and leaping around here? You get it? Are you buying what I'm selling? I mean, Peter's like, are you listening? Because if you won't listen, it's, it's going to end bad for you. You're going to be completely cut off. God declared that he was the only way under heaven to be saved. Are you listening to that? Are you listening to him? Are you a part of the movement or not? Movements move. Are you part of the movement? So this miracle must cause us to look. All miracles that we see must cause us to always recognize who they come from, where they come from, and they cause us to look upward. They cause us to look upward as followers of Jesus. God's, it's God's authentication of Jesus and, and what he's doing in this world. Miracle must also cause us not only to look upward, but should always cause us to look forward. I believe anytime we see a miracle take place in Scripture or anywhere else, it should cause us to look forward, to look forward to what Peter says here in, in, in verse 21, until the time comes for, don't miss this, for God to restore everything to how he intended it to be. Every miracle points us to that fact, that God wants to restore things to the way they should be and the way he intended for it to be. Don't miss this. This miracle is a sign of what is coming. It's a sign of what is coming. The restoration of all things that God has promised all throughout Scripture. He says, I'm going to fix it all. There's coming a time when it will all be restored. It will all be repaired. It will all be fixed. Miracles are just a sign of what's to come. Right? And, and here's what's interesting. Again, these people that had gathered around, uh, they were Jews. He's speaking to the Israelites here, so they were Jews. And we know this about the Jews. They knew their scripture really well, right? They had the Old Testament. Many of them uh, would have had, you know, many of the, the prophets and, and, and a lot of the writings of the Old Testament. They would have it, had it memorized. I mean, they knew it by heart. They took great pride in the fact of how they knew uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures. So here's the deal with that. These people that had gathered around, they would have immediately recognized that the healing of this lame man that they had just witnessed, what they had just experienced in seeing this lame man who had been crippled all his life, been a beggar in their town, what they had just experienced was a fulfillment of something the prophet Isaiah said years and years ago when he said that the lame will leap like a deer. And they just saw this take place. And I'm sure it came to some of them's mind, this is it. He's leaping like a deer, right? He's never walked before, now he's leaping like a deer. And Isaiah said this is what was to come. The prophet Isaiah explained that God was going to send a Messiah to purchase the healing of the entire world. 
All right? And, and through his work, all the pain and suffering of this earth, listen, one day is going to be reversed. All the suffering and the pain that is going on in this world one day will be reversed. These are the only two that give a rip about that. I'm going to tell you right now, I've, I've had a little pain. I know a little bit about pain. Thursday, I had a needle about this long stuck in both shoulders with cortisone injections. I'm ready for the pain to be reversed. Huh? There's a day coming. There's a day coming, Dory. It's coming. Through all the work that Jesus did, the plan is to restore it, to restore it to the way that he originally intended for it to be. Uh, Isaiah said, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth. Think about it. They've been living in the wilderness and in the desert, and, 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 and Isaiah is trying to give us a picture of what th this restoration is going to look like. He says water is going to gush forth in the wilderness. There's going to be streams in the desert. The burning sand that you've been walking on all your life, it's going to become like a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling up like springs. It's going to all be perfect. It's going to be exactly what we craved and what we We've longed for it. Don't miss this. This is the future. It's the future. And don't misunderstand. This is, this is so important. You know, that doesn't mean that from now on that anyone who believes in Jesus or, you know, joins the movement is going to be healed. All right? That, that's not what it's saying. That's not what it means. It means that this healing is a sign of what is coming. It's a sign of what's to come. So when you look at these miracles and you read these miracles as you go through the book of Acts, it's a sign of what is coming if you're a part of the movement, right? Think about it. There were lots of sick people in Jerusalem, I'm sure. I'm sure there was more than one crippled man in Jerusalem that couldn't walk. Don't you imagine? There was probably more than one person there that couldn't walk in Jerusalem that day, and Peter only healed this one. Right? He didn't heal them all. He just healed this one. And it was done as a sign of the full restoration that is coming for followers of Jesus in the future. Let me give you a glimpse, Peter said. I'm just going to give you a little taste right here of what it's going to be like to be a part of this movement. And the end result is going to be that everything and everybody is going to be restored and made new. It's a sign. Not only did the apostles' miracles point upward, but they also pointed forward to the kind of restoration that Jesus is going to bring to this world. You know, Jesus' miracles that he performed when he, he was here, uh, they weren't simply just impressive magic shows about how powerful he was. Right? It, it wasn't about, so, you know, okay, I'll perform a miracle so more people will come and, you know, put money in the offering plate. You know, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about, you know, just to bring attention to himself. His miracles weren't about that. If it was about power, if it was about wanting to impress people, why didn't he just write his name in the sky? I mean, that'd been awesome and impressive, right? Why didn't he just write his name in the sky? Or why didn't, you know, he could have made a, a, a camel disappear into thin air. He could have done some really cool things. 
You know, he, he, could, uh, he could even help Arkansas to win a national championship in something besides track. I mean, that would truly be a miracle, folks, if we could experience this in our lifetime. But, th- but, but he, he didn't do things like that. He didn't do things like that. He didn't do it just to make people go, wow, right? Think about it. Every miracle that Jesus and the apostles performed was to stop suffering. Right? They, they pointed to his purpose and, and his saving purpose. Think about what he did. He healed leprosy. Right? He cured blindness. He stopped storms. Anybody had some storms need to be stopped? He raised the dead. These were all miracles that were done to show you and I that God is no happier with the world and the condition that it's in as we are. Right? I mean, he's not pleased with it. He's not happy how things are going. He's not glad that his children are suffering. He doesn't look down and find great joy that you find yourself in the mess that you find yourself in. Think about it. God didn't create the world like this. Huh? He didn't create a world with pain. He didn't create a world with sickness or blindness or disease or even death. Right? That all came through what? Sin. Huh? That all came through the corruption. It was all corrupted. It was all messed up by Satan and, 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 and the corruption of sin. These miracles, don't miss this. These miracles point us to the world as God created it to be. All right? And, and, and how he wants it to be. And don't miss this, how it will be again in the future. It will be. It'll be made perfect. To those of you that, that are here today and, and, and you're in pain, for those of you that are here today and, and maybe you're suffering or going through something you don't want to go through, let me tell you something. This right here, this miracle is your greatest hope. It's your only reason that you can have any joy at all in your life today is because it's a reminder to you that whatever it is that you've got, whatever it is that you're going through, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. It may feel like it's going to last forever, but it's a blink of an eye. And then it's gone. It's only temporary. And, and I'm, I'm sure some of you are probably familiar with uh, a, a young lady. I, I say young. She's probably in her 60s now. Uh, Joni Erickson Tata, uh, a young girl that was paralyzed when she was a teenager in a diving accident. Uh, she broke her neck. She was paralyzed from the neck down. And God used a very crippled woman in a very powerful way. And uh, when she, she accepted him and she committed to allow God to use her, uh, he, he's done it in some, some powerful ways. I just want to share something that she wrote about her situation. Paralyzed, you, some, some of you think you got it bad. Paralyzed from the, from the neck down. And, and she wrote this. She said, one day in heaven, at that great marriage supper of the Lamb, The first thing that I think I'll do on my resurrected legs is fall on my glorified knees and praise the God of resurrection and healing. And then I'm going to get up and dance before him with all my might. Don't miss this. She gets it. This is your future. This is your future. It's not life stinks and then you die. And we've all said it, right? It's not that. And so I just want to ask you this morning, in light of that, do you want healing? 
Do you want a miracle in your life? Do you want to be restored? You want your family to be restored, your marriage to be restored? You, you want your health to be restored? Do you want future healing? Because don't you know that deep down you were made for that? You, you were made for that, to live in a world, to live in a heaven where there is no more brokenness, to live in a place where there is no more pain, there's no more sickness, there's no more death, there's no more tears. And so here's the deal, though. If you're part of the movement, you're headed for that. That's the direction you're going. If you're part of the movement, you're headed for healing. You're headed for restoration. But it, you must, in order to become a part of the movement, you must repent and follow Jesus Christ. You must repent and follow him because it's only in him that healing will be found. That's the point of the miracle. The healing only comes because of Jesus. The only healing that's going to come in your life is because of Jesus. It's the only place that it can be found, and the only ones that are going to enter into this perfect world, this place of restoration, are those who have surrendered their lives to him and those who have followed him on this movement that's going to take us to this perfect place. Which brings us to the last point this morning, and it's this. A miracle must always cause cause us to look inward. We look upward, we look forward, but oh, we better look inward. Looking inward to our soul's need of salvation and restoration and repair. Think about it. Man's physical ailments, our problems, they point us, really? Our sickness, our cancers, all these things that we're dealing with, pain, all that, it does nothing more than just point us to the real situation that's going on, and that's the sickness of our heart. That's our, our heart condition in all of us. Think about it. Some people are physically blind. Ephesians says that we're all spiritually blind. You know, the physical sickness of our bodies just points us to the inward sickness of our souls. When we, when we experience pain or, or, or sickness or whatever it may be, it should just be a reminder to us how sick our souls were and how desperately we need Jesus to heal us, to heal our souls. And, and, and I don't mean that if you're physically sick or, or if you're in pain that there's something that God is punishing you for. Okay, I'm not saying that, and I don't want you to misunderstand that. It's simply that physical sickness in general is a picture of the sickness uh, of our souls. And, and the miracle is a message about the salvation and healing that only Jesus can bring. That's what it's all about. It's about this healing and salvation that only Jesus can bring to our holes. souls. Think about this lame guy. What was the first thing he asked for when uh, Peter and John were approaching him? What did he ask for? Money. Right? He, he asked for money, but Peter says in verse 6, silver and gold, I, don't, I ain't got none of that. But what I have, I, I'm going to give you. What I, what I do have, I give you. In, in other words, what you want from me appears to be good for you. You think you need money. You think right now you need food. You, you think what you want from me is what is good, but... What I'm going to give you, so much better. <laughs> so much deeper. And instead of giving him money, what did he give him? Healing. 
He gave him healing. He, he gave him, a, in particular, physical healing. And we're going to see later in chapter 4 that this guy ends up becoming a disciple of Jesus, which is the greatest gift of the whole story. As bad as physical suffering is, there's something worse. And that's being crippled by your sin. And as great as physical healing would be for some of us, as awesome as it would be for us not to have any pain or sickness or cancer, let me tell you something. There's something much greater than that cure, and that's the salvation of your soul. See, if Peter had said, well, you know, I don't have any money, and to be honest with you, I can't fix your legs. I don't have the ability to be able to physically heal you. But I can tell you this, beggar, if you'll trust Jesus with all your heart, your sins will be forgiven and you will have eternal life. That story wouldn't have been quite as spectacular, would it? Or quite as moving as the one that we've looked at. Or would it? Because isn't the salvation of the soul and the promise of full restoration in the future greater than a temporary miracle? Think how temporary that was. Hey, that guy's dead. He's not here today. <laughs> He's not still leaping like a deer. That, that, that healing was only temporary for him. And so salvation of the soul and the promise of full restoration in the future is greater than any temporary miracle, right? Sure it is. Think about it. This beggar sitting by the temple every day, he's looking at everybody walking in and out. Don't you know? Every day, all day, he's watching people walk in, watching people walk out. Think about it. I'm sure that he probably thought, if I could just walk, if I could just walk, I'd never be unhappy again, right? I'm sure he thought that, but is that true? Now, I watched a lot of you come in here today, and the majority of you walked in, but I can tell by the look on your faces you weren't happy. <laughs> Does just by you being able to walk naturally mean that you're happy, right? So, so walking doesn't mean that we're all going to be happy. Well, here, we all have something that we think that we need, uh, or if I could just have that, or if I could just get that, then I would be happy. We all have something like that in our lives, but think about it. Other people in this world have those things that you think you need or want to make you happy. They have those things, and still yet, they're not happy. They're not satisfied because of those things. Listen, we need something more than physical healing. We need something more than money. We need something more than great relationships. We need restoration to God. That's what we need, is this restoration. In fact, I'd say this, physical healing without soul healing is worthless. Any physical healing that you might receive without your soul being healed is worthless to you. Maybe even harmful, because I'm sure Satan would be more than willing to alleviate some of your momentary suffering in exchange for your eternal suffering apart from God. I'm sure he'd make that deal with you. So I could say to you, similar to what Peter said, 
I don't always have the ability to physically heal, but what I do have is restoration in Jesus. What I do have to offer you is salvation in Jesus Christ. I can offer you forgiveness of sin. I can offer you peace. I can offer you intimacy and a friendship with God that can never be taken away from you. You know, and, and that's what I have to give you. Is that not the greatest of all gifts? I believe I've got the greatest thing in the world to offer you today. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And whatever pain that you may be going through, the greatest thing that I have to give you is this message that you can be healed and you can be restored through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be. You can be healed and you can be restored in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every service, that's what we're doing. Every service, that's what we're doing here. We're reaching out our hand to you and saying, do you want it? Will you take it? Do you want it? Will you take it? That's what we're doing. Every single week is offering you hope, healing, and restoration to your life. That's what the movement, that's what the church is all about. These miracles are beautiful, beautiful picture of the church and who we are to be and what we are in this movement. The church should be known as the place where healing takes place, where every, every person, you know, that, that comes in that is broken, they can be restored, and they can find help there. And as the church, we should be able to say, you need counseling? We'll do our best. We're not, the, you know, we're not the wisest people around town probably, but we will do our best to help you and get you the help that you need. Do you need food? We'll do our best to try to get you some help. We'll try to point you in the right direction. We'll try to feed you if you're hungry. Do you need help with parenting? We'll do our best. Our kids are jacked up too, but we'll do the best that we can to help you raise yours, right? Do you need, do, do you need community? Do you need friendships? We've got that. We can help you with that. If community and friendships is what you need, we're here to help. Do you have questions or do you have doubts about your faith? We'll help you with that. Do you have a desire for a fresh start? We'll help you with that. Do you have a vision to help other people? We want to help you with that. That's what we're all about is helping other people. We want to help you with that. That is what the movement is all about. Now, can I ask you, will you join us? Will you join us if you haven't already? Because that's what it's all about. It's all about healing and restoration and alleviating suffering in whatever way that we can as we all make this journey together to a place where we're all going to be healed and restored and made new. But until then, it's us and the movement. And I want to invite you to be a part of the movement. It's the greatest thing that I have to offer you. We're reaching out our hand and saying, do you want this? Do you want this? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you today so much for just this awesome reminder of who you are, what your desire is for us. It's not that any of us would suffer. It's not that any of us would be in pain. God, it's not that any of us would, you know, be filled with doubt and confusion and not know which way is up. God, you want to bring healing to our lives, to our situations, to our bodies. And God, thank you for the reminder today that it is coming. As long as we'll be followers of you, as long as we'll be a part of this movement, 
as long as, as we'll do what you've called us to do, it's coming. There's a day coming when everything will be restored and everything will be made new. A place where there's no more pain, no suffering, no sickness, no death, no tears. God's going to be a, a, a perfect. Isaiah gives us the best description that he can come up with in simple words to explain it. And God, we thank you for loving us enough to prearrange that, to make that a, a possibility for every single one of us. And so if there's anyone here today that just kind of steps back and looks at their life and goes, you know, I'm not a part of the movement. I've just been kind of watching the movement go by or I've been kind of considering being a part of the movement, but I'm so hurt. Maybe I've even been hurt by some people that are on the movement. I, I don't know, God, but I, I thank you today for this reminder that there's a place for every single one of us in, in this movement that's called the church and that it's only through that that we'll find exactly what we need in the future and that's you a relationship with you, a eternity with you. You'll make all things right in our lives. Thank you for loving us enough to want to do that. Thank you for loving us enough to remind us of that today and calling us, reaching out your hand to us, saying, do you want it? Do you want it? God, we desperately want that. I desperately want that for our church so that we'd be used by you be a powerful force in this world today that people would see you and know you. Thank you again for loving us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.